This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. Alright, welcome, 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 welcome back to Fans on the Run, the second most popular Beatle podcast that I host, or co-host for that matter. Uh, you know, it's February now, something, 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 hazy shade of winter, something, 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 Simon and Garfunkel the Bangles. See, this is... What you're witnessing right now is practically performance art. I'm breaking down my introduction to its bare essentials because I don't know how to prepare for things. See, this is why it's it's good that none of you are able to see my Word document to prepare for this because you'll be able to see how half-assed this show really is. But, again, this is probably the most common phrase on this show. I digress. Uh, we, we have a great guest for you today. I'm, I'm really excited because I've gotten to know this guy uh, doing another show on another uh, internet personalities page who I will not mention because cause I it's my show. But, you know, I, I'm quite excited. He's, a, he's a, you know, quite honestly a jack-of-all-trades. He's a singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, who has shared the stage with more cool and notable people that I'm even capable of mentioning. He's a Beatle tribute veteran who's played with, uh, he's played every Beatle in his chosen bands at some point. Uh, he's played with, remember the British Invasion at Epcot? He was, uh, he subbed in quite a bit for those guys, and he's currently with a group called Beatle Beat. Would you please welcome Charlie DeCosa? Welcome to Fans on the Run. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is very, very cool. I don't know if I'm supposed to be really sedate like a radio person. No. Hi. No. Or, this, okay. this show's a dumpster fire, Charlie. <laughs> See, you're basing you're basing your most recent episode that you listened to is probably not a good uh uh benchmark for level of sedateness. Well but I've that's listened a story to, for another time. I've listened to quite a few of them, man. I I'm 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 a fan. I'm a fan of fans on the run, so I'm and I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm a me. fan of Charlie DeCosa. Oh, that's ridiculous, but uh, I I do appreciate you having me on. So we get to talk Beatles. What's what could be better? Well, we get to talk Beatles, and we get to talk other things too, because it's my show, and we get to talk about whatever. Like BNL. Well, BNL, because um, as if I don't mention it every five minutes, I'm Canadian. <laughs> I'm Canadian, I'm... and every Canadian is required by law to like the bare naked ladies. Do you also no have exception. to? Do you have, also have to like Michael Bublé and uh, really. and Rush? Rush, yes. Uh, more so at this point, the the tragically hip. Uh, oh yes. Yeah, yep, that's yep, yep. in order to get your driver's license. I think you need to own at least four tragically hip albums. <laughs> you know when uh, when the lead singer or frontman Gord Downey died it was basically like I, I don't know if he was laid in state but the way all the ceremonies played out it felt that way so if well if we're going to talk about BNL we gotta I gotta ask you right off the bat are you are you are you good with post Stephen BNL are you, are you good with that I I don't know too much post Stephen BNL really really because we're Canadian or I'm Canadian why am I speaking in we? Um, like, I think every Canadian record shop or CD shop 
the the like discount bin, like the overflow, is full of copies of the album Gordon. Because that's like understandable the most popular album. Oh yeah, it's and it's great and it's it's friggin' great from from cover to cover. Well, I, that's why I feel bad for you Americans, because like the big bare naked lady song is one week, I think. Here uh, it's if I had a million dollars, like every everyone knows the words to that. Of course, uh, if I had a million dollars, one week off of stunt. Stunt was pretty popular, and uh, it's all been done. Was was a hit for them over here as well. Um, the pinch me was a hit for them over here, you know. But I, I the first time I saw the band was after Steven left. So, um, I, I tell you, all the, the albums that came after he left, I really enjoyed and kind of got that. It, I, it wasn't my introduction to the band. My introduction to the band was a, a live concert they did in Orlando that they had released as a, as a recording. Uh, and I think that was, that had, um, I can't remember what what album they were touring at that time, um, but it, it was a fantastic album. But like Silverball and and all of those albums that that came out recently, I, I really like that stuff. And I like I, I really like Jim Cregan's bass playing. Not many people could play like that and get away with it because it just he he plays a lot, uh, but it works. It works for that band. Did you see when they did the reunion? Did we the, talk about at the that? Junos. That was yeah, like the, the first Juno thing you, after that was like the first thing you asked me when I it? I told you I wanted you to be on the show. It's like maybe you can finally explain to me who all those other people were. And I'll I'll admit uh, yeah. right now, I don't know either. And you know what? They didn't know if I had a million dollars. All those people on stage singing, they had no idea. It was hysterical. <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, I think Steve and Ed knew that they didn't know and and they just you know, forged on anyway. I really appreciated the part where they were like, it's time for, you know, craft dinner sponsorship. <laughs> it's, it's been 30 years. Come on. Yeah. I think everybody was hoping there would be more, uh, reunion stuff after that. But I think, I think Ed, I think Ed was able to just say, okay, this is, this is what it's going to be. We're going to do this, but we're still going to move on with our, fake nudes album and whatever came after that well i think talking about the bare naked ladies is a good way to segue because you you like a lot of other music that isn't the beatles so i want to ask you if you had to pick like your top five favorite groups or bands or singers who would that top five list include uh nrbq would be at the top of the list so new rhythm and blues quartet yeah we talked about them quite a bit they've been around since the late 60s and um I, I got a live album of theirs. Well, actually, my it was my brother's live album called Diggin' Uncle Q, and I listened to it, and I really it was so dissonant sounding, and and I didn't get it, but they had a cover of Just the Way You Are by Billy Joel, <laughs> and for some reason I listened to that track, didn't realize until years later that it's actually. At the time, karaoke was getting popular, and they used to make fun of it by doing karaoke on stage. <laughs> so it's them putting their instruments down, playing a karaoke track, and they all had these big poster boards with the lyrics, and they would take turns singing. And it made the album, because that's just how goofy those guys are. Um, but I, once I learned, kind of listened to that album over and over, 
all of a sudden it started making what I was hearing made sense to me and people will say all the time like oh this changed the way I listen to music or this is you know they go overboard with how much stuff means to them and and I'm usually like oh shut up you know I don't want to hear any of that but NRBQ changed the way I listen to music uh, oh, uh, they NRBQ were the isn't particularly they they should be a lot more well known than they are but if you had to describe NRBQ to someone how would you describe them um uh it is they're they're called omnipop is the omnipop. is the is the category because it's like wherever popular mu- music is or was NRBQ went there and left and if anything gets too popular and they're doing it they go a different direction it's like i i think i told you it's like a mix of thelonious monk the beatles old country you just never that band played the newport jazz festival and then turned around and played at the grand old opry you know it's just they're those kinds of players and and they their fan club includes Keith Richards, Bonnie Raitt, Elvis Costello, um, McCartney. McCartney is an NRBQ now, fan. Now explain to the fan or the people at home who McCartney is. Uh, <laughs> Paulie. Yeah. Little Paulie. Um, there, I, I, I don't want to go on too much of a tirade about them, but you, you have to see it and experience it. They're, they're really wacky. They do wacky things with music and a lot of times the songs that you know and play they'll play it i hate to say that they don't play the same the same song the same way twice but they they play with a a freedom that jazz brings like uh a a jazz sensibility to rock and roll and i've always loved that idea but no one else did it quite in that way you could say like um uh uh Steely Dan is an infusion of jazz and rock and roll, but it's in, in a completely different way. Uh, NRBQ brings the freedom that jazz uh, has and and still just rocks. I, I, I love them. I can't say enough, but you said five, so let's go on. So uh, NRBQ, the Beatles, obviously. Are we skipping the Beatles or are we including them? Uh, you know, let, let's skip the Beatles because that, uh, we'll that's kind of an inevitability. Uh, Kiss... I've been a Kiss fan since uh, I was five and watching Phantom of the Park over and over and over again. So, Do you um, think that shaped who you are as a person, watching uh, it, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park? I, I think so. I, I, again, that what a wacky movie, but so much fun. Like, they don't even like talking about it. And, I, and Paul, Stan, excuse me, Paul Stanley will say... Oh, I don't even know what happened at the end of that movie. Well, nobody does. It's he, Max Devereaux turns around and he's got like silver gray hair. He turned old and and can't talk and he's crying. Well, I don't. Who knows? But it's just he awesome because Kiss it, to destroy Kiss. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. See, you know it. Holy crap. Good for you. Well, uh, I have it on DVD actually. Oh, really? The, I have now, this Kiss kind of box set. 
kissology thing. Kissology. Oh yeah. So you have kiss meets the phantom. You have yeah. Uh, I, do, I have the weird European attack of the phantoms. Attack yes. of the phantom. The European re-edit. So that one, when I watched that, it was really freaky because they use like music from the Kiss solo albums as the filler music on that. But the American version, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, used different like yeah, almost like porn, stock music. Yeah, like weird, crazy music, and and that's what I was used to. So and the the film is edited slightly different. Uh, I I have it on VHS as the only copy I have of Phantom of the Park. Uh, okay, so let's see. Actually, uh, you brought up the solo albums, so while we're on this Kiss tangent, apologies to the listeners out there who clicked on this Beatles podcast, and we're about <laughs> 12 minutes in, and we haven't mentioned the Beatles. We'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll, we'll, we'll burn that bridge when we cross it. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, what, which is your favorite solo album? Which, which is a dumb question, because I think I know the answer, because it's everyone's favorite. I'm going to say... Don't worry, if you say the wrong answer, I will think less of you as a person. <laughs> so, I think everybody... I think your opinion would be that everybody would say Ace Freely. Yes. Okay. Um, that, that's the only one I own. I really love Gene Simmons' album. And I well, like it. It's got, our, it's got our good friend Mitch on it. It does. It does. Um, and it has See You Tonight, which they did on Unplugged, which was great. Um... It's also got When You Wish Upon a Star, which I thought was very brave of Gene to do. And he does a nice job. He does a real nice job. Um, and if I it like had some a of different the other... cover, I think it might work better. If it wasn't <laughs> Gene Simmons with blood rippling out of his mouth, just um, like a red aura. But I like some of the, I like a lot of the stuff. Like once I learned who played on Peter Chris's solo album, that it was a lot of, some of the guys who had played in Steely Dan, some fantastic studio guys he surrounded himself with. Um, that's a good one. And I like Paul's as well. Uh, well you know, Paul's is the, the other one that isn't an unacceptable answer. Right. <laughs> because right. it, it kind of sounds like what you think Kiss would sound like. And I, I like what that, that ushered in, um, I think those solo albums ushered in stuff like um, Dynasty, which I, I, I wasn't opposed to Dynasty. Some people are. It's like, ah, oh, Kiss doing disco or whatever. But who cares? It's Kiss. They were still Kiss. Do you know what I like uh, more than Dynasty? The Elder. Unmasked. Really? Yeah. Unmasked is a good one, too. And the 80s it's stuff. It's even I'm... poppier. Yep. It, yep. I know, uh, well, it's got Shandy on it, right? That was. It's got uh, Shandy, it's got Talk to Me. Yeah. It's got Two Sides of the Coin. That's, uh, um, that was a good one. And I like the 80s, uh, I like the stuff with Bruce Kulick when they did, weren't wearing makeup. Bruce just seems like a really cool guy. I follow he, him on he Facebook. He does, but my favorite 80s kiss has got to be the Vinnie Vincent stuff. Really? Oh, come on. I, I was this close. I had it in my hands. I almost bought the first Vinnie Vincent Invasion album. Yeah. Just because it's just one of... I, I don't even have the words to describe the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. It's just bizarre. Yeah. I like stuff like um, they did uh, I'm Alive, which was... 
if you listen to it and you just think this is Kiss doing Van Halen and this is Paul Stanley doing David Lee Roth, it's exactly what it is. And I think it's hysterical. Um, kind of I, I like rise full to... circle here. Um, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. Go ahead. And it's not even the right era of Kiss. Kiss kind of introduced me to the Dave Clark Five. Oh, um, With, um, 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 any, any way you want too. it. Any way you want it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Which, for some reason, this is honestly bizarre for a British invasion band from like 1965 to sound heavier and harder than the hard rock band that is covering them. That record is just insane. Yeah. All those Dave Clark Five records, it's like. You know, people describe the Phil Spector stuff as, like, the wall of sound. The Dave Clark Five is just the wall of sound. I think so many of their tunes... I guess when they came over, you know, both of us are are too young to remember when all of that actually went down. Um, I'm surprisingly too young, and you are definitely too young. Uh, Why's that? (laughs) But they, um... People thought that they were going to overtake the Beatles. Like, thinking back on it, I'm not sure how that happened, but they were a great party band. The music is great party music, which the Beatles arguably are not. I don't find the Beatles music to be party music. But Dave Clark Five, you put any of that stuff on, and and all of a sudden, people are dancing and having a good time. I, 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 I enjoy that as well. Did you like, and then, and then she kissed me? Uh, off a love gun with Kiss as well. Um, n- not as much. No. Well, no, talking I'm a about fan of the crystals, but talking about Kiss covers, that was one where I was, you know, I heard it and I, it's just bizarre enough that I kind of dig it. Yeah. Um. Okay. So what did we say here? We said. Okay. You said NRBQ. NRBQ. Uh, Kiss. Kiss. Uh. BNL. So I would say ladies. I would rank I would rank bare naked ladies up there. Um Van Halen, I would say Van Halen. When I was uh, Are are you more uh David Lee Roth or Van Hagar? I I'm one of those weird people who like all of it, even Gary Sharon. Okay. Um I I will say that I saw Van Halen with Sammy Hagar. I saw them on the for unlawful carnal knowledge tour. Um, that was like one of my first big concerts that I went to, and I loved that album. That was the album that got me into Van Halen. So I was into I was into Van Hagar before I was into Roth, uh, and then I went to see the Roth Hagar tour that they did together, and left um, in the kind of in the middle or towards the middle end of. Hagar's part, he closed the show because it just turned into a Jimmy Buffett concert. They had girls bringing him mar- uh, margaritas on stage and beach balls, and and it just seemed like I'm at a I'm at a Buffett show. What is this? You know, I want to just I want like, to. Why am I in the Kokomo music video? Right, right, and I get you know it's it's advertising and it's. It's what he has to do to sell tequila and stuff, but uh, for me, at least that night, Roth Roth took it. But I, I like all of it, and even Gary Sharon stuff is. It's what a weird Van Halen album Van Halen Three is, but there's just moments on it where I love it, and you know, 
but when I was a kid, I, before I became a bass player, which is what I do mostly, um, I wanted to be a guitar player and I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. So I sat and watched Live Without a Net over again and watched the screen and tried to play with it as much as I could. And, you know, I, I wanted to be one of those types of guitar players, but it, it never happened. Uh, so the fifth, gosh, uh, you know, I think coming coming to mind, the only thing that's really coming to mind is like anything that's related to Brian Setzer. Okay. Um, I don't really care for many of the guitar heroes that everybody else loves. I was never a Hendrix fan, certainly not a Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. Wait, hold never... on back up. You weren't a Hendrix fan? No, I, I, it's not that I disliked it, but I would never grab a Hendrix album and put it on to to play along with or or dig on it. You know, I just it, I I appreciate what it was, but you know, I would much rather grab. Oh, I didn't even mention the Monkees. How could I not mention the Monkees? Probably the Monkees before Brian Setzer. All right, uh, and if I was one of the even in my. 20s, 30s, or now, if I had to go see a concert and it was Jimi Hendrix opening up for the Monkees, I would still be more excited to see the Monkees than I would to see Jimi Hendrix. Um, I, I was just never one of those guys who was into those guitar hero guys, you know? I, I wasn't into Joe Satriani. And that's funny because I was into to Eddie, but Eddie, I was into the band, yeah. you know? I was into the quartet, not necessarily just Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing. Um, so, yeah, I guess the Monkees would round it out. And and before I was into the early Kirshner albums, I was into the later albums. I was into um, uh, Birds and Bees and Instant Replay and Pisces Aquarius Capricorn Jones was the first Monkees vinyl I owned. So that was the stuff I liked first, all the stuff that Shorty Rogers arranged for and the band um, did there. And then I got into the Kirshner stuff and then landed in headquarters kind of last. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, they would, they, they would probably be at the top of the heap. I'll give honorable mention to the Spice Girls and to S Club 7 as well. Uh, not necessarily bands, but pop music that I really like. Do you even know who S Club Seven is? I, I I know vaguely. So they were like, they were like a British pop version of the Monkees, kind of. They had a TV show. Uh, they it was S Club in Miami, and then S Club in somewhere else in America. But it's a British band, boys and girls, and they plopped them here in America, and they put a t made a TV show out of it, and their music was, it was the Monkees formula. They performed the songs each week, and, and I, I actually got into the show at a much too old age for somebody to be getting into that kind of show, but then I started liking the music, and I, I like syrupy pop stuff, so it's good syrupy pop stuff. Well, you mentioned records, and don't worry, this may be the segue to finally talk about those those guys. The oh, show's yeah. kind of about what was what was the first record you remember getting? Uh, my brother gave me two rec two vinyls. My first vinyls were Meet the Beatles, which as a high school kid I gifted to somebody else, and I regret it. Um, and Sergeant Pepper, and the the funny thing about Sergeant Pepper is. 
there were scratches and noises on the record that even when I got the CD and even to this day sound weird to me without those scratches and noises like yeah. at at the end of uh little help for my friends the on my record it went the little help for my uh, and then the record would go and like there's this like scratch sound on it and i still listen for that every time i hear the recording even though it's not on any other recording have, have uh, you done like a needle drop of that record I sh- I should I should recreate that for myself, but uh, th- those were my first those were my first um, Beatles records and like were they your talk- first records? Period. Those well those good question. Those were my first records. Period. I got those, and then I think I remember get my brother same brother my brother Tony, um, ordering me the Kellogg's. 45s of um, banana splits. Okay. So I oh, I had the, the yep I had the banana splits 45s and and the, the Beatles records and then I started collecting some vinyls and I had a good vinyl collection until I was in college and we kept moving it from apartment to apartment and I finally I said what do I need this stuff for and I I threw out boxes and boxes of vinyls. Stuff that you can't hardly get. Uh, like, I put like it in what? a dumpster. Um, uh, um, who's uh, leaving on a jet plane? That was. Um, uh, come on, you remember his name? I'll think of it. Just why? Why was lot... the first name that came to mind? Joe Cocker. Was that him? No, 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 no. no. It was the um, folk, folk John Denver. John Denver. Some John Denver records that, from what I understand, are are hard to get. I had records that were sent to radio stations that were the... Yeah, because I think my sister had gotten a whole stack of records from the radio station on Long Island, stuff that they had been getting rid of, and then she let... If you threw out, like, radio station promos of, like, like, The Who or The Kinks or whatever... I, I would fly to Florida right now and the Who like, I probably you. the Who I probably got rid of the Kinks I didn't have I had the Sleepwalker album by Kinks okay. that was I love that album um, I, I've never really been much into the later Kinks yeah yeah like, no one to me, no the, the Kinks didn't make music after 1970 yeah with most the exception of Father Christmas and Come Dancing uh, Mr Big Mr Big was on that on that uh, Sleepwalker album. The Sleepwalker song was great. There's some good stuff on that. It's worth checking out. But maybe it's just because I was young and listened to it. And Well, to each their own, though. Yeah. Because I I know there's... Those albums aren't exactly unpopular among people. It's just... It's not my cup of tea. I'm not just saying that because they're British. (laughs) Nice. Nice tie-in there. Yeah. but one thing we had talked about previously was the fact that a lot of the kind of the stuff around Revolver and Rubber Soul, the first time I heard a lot of that was on the Beatles cartoons because I didn't have those records. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got. So I got. I want to ask. Um, oh, go ahead. Talk about those Beatles cartoons. When, what year or kind of around what time did you really start getting into the Beatles with those cartoons? Like, what. How were they being broadcast at that point? 
because the show probably wasn't still on. No, we had a satellite dish, and when I when I say satellite dish, this was probably eighty five, nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty six, and it was a, it wasn't a small dish like we have now with the dish networks or whatever you know yeah. direct tv this was a gigantic dish that was on the side of our house minted some um, that was mounted into cement block oh. and there were two controls one controlled the direction that the satellite moved in so you'd press the button on the control and the whole satellite dish would move and then another button that controlled awesome. Which station, when it was facing that satellite, which one of the stations? So I was able to do things like Nickelode- in the United States, Nickelodeon was shown how an East Coast feed and a West Coast feed. Mm-hmm. And they would have call in, um, like uh, call in uh, uh, giveaways? Things where, yeah, 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 like giveaways. So I would watch the East Coast feed, I would get the phone number. I would figure out whatever the question was and whatever the answer was. And then three hours later, I would go to the West Coast feed. I would queue up everything that needed to be queued up right um, seconds before I needed to do it. And I would be Johnny on the spot and I would get it and I would be able to get in and get the T-shirt or answer the question or whatever it was. Sly dog you. Yeah. Oh, I was learning how to be a pirate when I was 10 years old. It was great. so and that's how I watched it. I probably watched it on one of those satellite stations, whatever it was. And, yeah, it was like 85, 86, 87 when I watched them. I, I didn't even I, know those cartoons were still on then. Yeah, they were on different places. I, I assume, if I'm going to make an assumption, uh, without really knowing... Fans I would on say, the Run is the show of unbased assumptions. Okay, great. Um, I would say that probably after the monkeys aired in in 86 and then they were or 85 86 they were on Nickelodeon which was where I saw them after that there were probably different places trying to um, capitalize on nostalgia <laughs> so it was probably shown on some station at that time and I probably glommed onto it then and since I didn't have the records like t- tell me what you see I'm like I've never heard of this Beatles song this isn't a Beatles song it wasn't on Sgt. Pepper uh, so, and he wouldn't uh, know oh, if it was on Meet the Beatles because you gave that away. Oh, don't, it hurts my heart. Um, but anyway, that's that's how I learned a lot of that stuff. Uh, Charlie, if it makes you feel better, if we ever meet in person, I will give you a copy of Meet the Beatles. Uh, oh no, thank you. I I got to a point where I said, well, why do I have all this vinyl stuff? I, the the CDs are pristine condition, a pristine sound. Like, why would I want to hear it in vinyl sound? But now, like, I probably thought that way 15 years ago, and now I'm going back and rebuying vinyl. Uh, we bought uh, the Vince Guaraldi Charlie Brown Christmas record, and we bought the Beatlemania album that Mitch is on, and Beatle records and Monkeys records. I'm just you know, buying those up again. And I don't know why the quality... I could just say, hey, Alexa, play monkeys, you know, and get amazing sound quality. But there's something about the vinyl that we See, all See, I just think you just love. screwed over some of our listeners who may be listening <laughs> to this without headphones, whose, like, echoes went off, like, playing Sgt. Pepper. 
on Amazon Music. I don't know if you'll want to cut this out or not, but no, when the it, it's when, staying in. When the OK Google thing started happening, and people, my my buddy got uh, OK Google on his watch or on his phone. Yeah. I just kept going. OK Google. I'm just trying to get him in trouble. <laughs> I don't know if he ever got in trouble or not, but I thought it was funny. Actually, you know what? <laughs> I am going to cut this. I'm, I'm just doing that so I can see in the waveform where I should cut it. <laughs> oh, that's, okay, oh, I'm leaving this part in. I'm leaving this part in. Oh, I may God. just bleep out what you said. Oh. That's yeah, I'll, I'll just do that. So, what's the next Beatles question? Let's talk Beatles. Yeah, let's not talk what you just said. <laughs> Could you imagine how mad the other guy would get if you mentioned that on his show? Oh, sweet Jesus. I, I have to edit for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> I just gave it away who we're talking about. Oh, that's all right. We we'll, love we'll him. Plug him I love him. End. We'll plug him at the end. Definitely. Um. So... I want to ask, kind of broad question, what do the Beatles mean to you? What do the Beatles mean to me? Um, See, you also just screwed me up for the rest of the show. Because <laughs> now I don't... <laughs> You're thinking about that all? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, what do the Beatles mean Christ. to me? The... <laughs> uh, the Beatles mean... Being talented at the right place at the right time and everything just working out. Because, I mean, we all we all love them and they were crazy talented, but they were at the right place at the right time with the right sound, doing the right things. And it was a bunch of kids who just shot to a level of stardom that you know, we say it had never been seen, and it's pretty much true. You had Sinatra with the Bobby Soxers, you had Elvis, yeah, but this was something completely different. And it wasn't until years later for me that I realized that pretty much from '66 on, they kind of pooped all over what made them popular. And I and I have a I have a real bad one of the things I. Uh, one of my pet peeves is is groups who poop on what made them popular. Uh, it's like Kiss not doing rock and roll all night, or yeah. Jimmy Buffett not doing Margaritaville, or Bare Naked Ladies not doing If I Had a Million Dollars, or in interviews crapping all over that. You know, and later on when I heard these interviews and I heard John like say, "Oh well, I'm glad you like the Mop Tops love, and I'm glad you liked." you know, a hard day's night, and but, you know, that's the past. Well, that might be true, but it's what got you to where you were, yeah. you know? You don't have to poop on it. It's it's a it's a part of the whole package, you know? So I, th I think that quote you're talking about came in from, like, the, the bed-in. Yes. Where he had gotten in an argument with some reporter. Yeah. Which, that was in John's self-destructive period in the late 60s where he was doing pretty much anything to well, wind up in the British tabloids. Let let me say here, and this is going to be blasphemy to all your Beatle, Beatle fans, but I, I'm going to Nothing can anyway. be more blasphemous than some of the things I've said in previous episodes, so I, you're safe. I, John was extremely talented, 
and I, I respect him for his talent, but everything that I've read about the man and everything I've learned about him, I don't respect him as a human being. Uh, not from the beginning when he was in Liverpool on top of buildings peeing on the nuns that walked by uh, and basically getting into lots. Of, and I look, I get that the guy had a tough childhood. I get it. Um, you know, uh, so, uh, people like to give him a lot of credit for what happened with the war and his anti-war stance. I get that, too. I, I just I, when I think about, you know, what happened with Julian and 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 his romps with Harry Nielsen and getting kicked out of the Smothers Brothers show and that that just, incident at the Troubadour. Yeah, I just don't respect the guy. I don't I don't think I would be friends with him. I don't think I would like him at all, but I respect him completely as a singer and songwriter. He's extremely talented, and some people have a tough time breaking those kinds of things apart. But I try hard to say he was absolutely talented and he was a crappy person. Well, something that kind of bothers me um when people bring up the the whole, you know, John physically abusive with Cynthia thing and uh while I think Cynthia said he only did it like once that's still like one too many times for it to happen and it kind of really disgusts me when I see people try and shrug that off in this yeah. in this beetle world it's like no well, the guy's not it the guy was very psychologically damaged but that's not an excuse for not being a good person he was a very flawed individual, and what I find, um, on a more general note, is that the people who tend to scream peace and love at the top of their lungs, um, if if you look at the way they live their life, it's not it's it's the antithesis of the way they live. Now, I'm not saying that about Ringo or or Paul or anybody else, but John certainly had extreme demons and led. And you know, told everybody peace and love, peace and love. But then, you know, he didn't really live his life that way. I don't no. think. And and I, I, I don't mean to bring the show down. I'm a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. Everybody out there, I'm a gigantic. No, you're allowed to Beatles like be a fan, fan of the music while being able to criticize them for what they yeah. did wrong. Yeah. So I, that's that's just the way. I, 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 I'm I'm glad that you're accepting of that opinion. I I. It's not an opinion that I, I talk about a lot because a lot of Beatles fans, you know, they they are with them like I am with NRBQ in that they can do no wrong. Yeah. And I think I think looking back, I think they did quite a bit of wrong, but you know, sometimes it wasn't their fault, sometimes it was. I, I... Anyway, the question was what do the Beatles mean to me? And I think that the answer is they were the they, they they were at the right place at the right time with the right talent and it's just so joyful to see a lot of how their um their career went and i think it's something that we all wish and aspire to um you know i i know i certainly always wanted to be in a band where i felt that camaraderie i i was never a solo guy yeah. i always wanted to be in a band and we, have we all want to be the beatles in the movie help living in yeah. that house with the yep. four doors but it's all one room yeah yeah <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. well I'll, I'll bring the mood up a little because you're you you play in tribute groups um 
and you play the bass. So, I, I if you've listened to the show, you know I like talking gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you could have, if you don't already have them, one Beatle instrument, what would you, you know, wish into existence if you could have it? Oh. I'm... I'll go first. I've said this before. If I could have that Rickenbacker 325C63 or whatever. Sure. That is such a beautiful instrument. It's a bit of a bitch to play with the weird spacing at the nut, but, you know, I I had always kind of been like, eh, you know, I, I can't justify spending that much money on a guitar. It's ridiculous. They're not even that good. And then I went to the Chicago Music Exchange and I actually played a Rickenbacker 360 C64 and I was just in awe. It's like, holy shit, this is a nice thing. Well... And then you hit that Hard Day's Night chord and, you know... And it just sounds right. Yeah. All yeah. is right in the world. I, so, I mean, a few of them come to mind, so I've, I've got to try and rank these here. So I think the first thing any of the bass players would probably say is the Hofner cavern bass. You know, that's kind of the yeah. one... Like, I don't have a cavern bass. I have the... I have a German... Uh, I have a German lefty and a which is a reissue and then I have a 66 righty um but the cavern bass but I think the Rickenbacker would be real well actually you say the cavern bass I want to ask you a bit more specifically which incarnation of the cavern bass because there was the first one and then he had it like repainted and then he had that pickup cover or surround thing. No, you could no, see no, it no, in no. like the revolution video. Yeah, that that he had done later on. Um, and yeah, you see it in the revolution and then in, in the Let It Be movie. Yeah. No, more more like how it was all right, let, let's be specific. More like how the bass was in the some other guy video that they recorded yeah. in the cavern. Um I think that would that would be a neat base, but the Rickenbacker, you know, I I have a. Uh, am I allowed to say this? Maybe I'm not allowed yes. to say this. I have a Chinese copy. Oh, you're allowed to say it. I, I oh, feel so no shame. I have a two hundred two hundred ninety one dollar copy of the Lefty Rickenbacker Magical Mystery Tour paint job base, yeah. and it is. If a Rickenbacker hog. didn't want people to, if Rickenbacker didn't want people to get copies, then, you know. Don't exclusively sell four thousand dollar instruments. Right, you're right. just well, inviting it at that point. The one that I have is an absolute hog. It's terrible. It was the the real Rickenbacker is a neck through bass. The one I got was a set neck, and the set neck let loose, so we had to bolt it on. So now it's a bolt on neck. It does the job for a, you know, if we're gonna do a theater show, we play it maybe five songs you know it's i don't spend too much time on it so it you know if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and sounds like a duck and this you know it it does okay but i i quit switch quickly switch back to the hoffner yeah um but then again you know the i've never played a j160e that played as well as the gibson j45s the j45s are just beautiful instruments. The best acoustic guitar I've ever played was a J45. Well, I've always found the J160Es, and I I own the the Epiphone equivalent, which I I look behind me. Do you like it? Do you like it? I I like it for what it is, which, 
it's a it's a fairly mediocre acoustic. I'll I'll be honest. I was told it, to steer clear, and I was thinking it about getting one. Fairly thin, does it? Yeah, but you know, if you want to play "I Feel Fine" or those early Beatle tracks, you need that guitar. Yeah. Yep. No, I I I agree. And I have the I have a casino. I had a few fake Ricks. You have a uh, casino. Guitars. Do you have a Do you have a gambling license that? Actually, we play on a casino uh, cruise. We'll talk about that in a little while. But um, uh, no, I, the, the Epiphone. I got one of the uh, one of the ones that's made in the um, uh, the Korean factory. Uh, so it's not one of the Chinese ones. It's one of the the Peerless factory. Yeah. And those are the nicer. Those are the nicer ones. Uh, I got real lucky and got it for like three hundred and fifty bucks or something. Oh, there's like the there's the Chinese ones. Then you have the Korean ones. Then you have, I think, the Japanese ones, because I think yeah. some of them are made in Japan. And yeah. then, you know, if you're, you know, if you're Mr. Moneybags, you can get the elitist made in the USA. I think they're making them again in the U.S., like at the Gibson factory or oh, whatever. The, they the, they uh, just announced them, like, last year. Wow. Well, I, I didn't hear about that, but I am... Um... Yeah, I'm a gearhead up to a certain point. You know, certainly more people. There are people who get way further into it than I do. Um, I didn't even like Hofner when I first, before I was in a Beatle band, because every Hofner I played had been a just a a hog. They were just hard to play, and oh, I didn't like them. And then when I started doing this, and I played the ignition bass. And I was like, eh. and then I played a, c- a contemporary, and I so I bought the contemporary, and like three months later I bought a German because I was like, okay, these are actually pretty decent. Well, I I own the uh, Icon Ignition or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, and, I was confused. I might have used the yeah. British term rather than the American. Oh, I, one. I don't even know what it is. Like the one you can get now, like made in China or wherever it's made. But then I also, at the aforementioned Chicago Music Exchange, I got to play, you know, a real German Hofner. And I was like, I wasn't expecting there to be that much of a difference, but oh my god. Yeah, the German Hofners are very handcrafted, quality-made instruments, and and when it's set up properly, when it's really set up properly and done nice, they just, they feel real good and they sound great. I've I've grown... My appreciation for them has grown since I've been doing this, the the Beatle tribute thing. Um, speaking of that Beatle tribute thing, how did you enter this world of Beatle tribute things? So let me start off by saying that I, I don't even feel like I sound like myself, much less <laughs> sound like a Beatle. You know, it, it's kind of like Elvis Costello trying to do McCartney. Yeah. Um, but but with that being said, I. I, I I used to go watch the British Invasion at Epcot, and we had year-round passes just to go buy yards of beer and sit in front and listen to the band on days off. My wife and I used to go sit and listen, because at the time, they didn't just do Beatles. Uh, they did very little Beatles. They did Herman's Hermits, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the Hollies, the uh, Seekers... Well- the Hollies is one that you don't often see 
you know, people do imitations or covers of, how well did they do the Hollies? Because it's hard to get the harmonies. Let me tell you. So the I, lineup... I, this is going to be blasphemy. This will even out what you said earlier. I think the Hollies had better harmonies than the Beatles. And yeah, they they certainly had tougher harmonies to figure out. Uh, it, it, when I used to go see them at, at Disney, it was Jimmy Pappas on drums, who's now... Uh, the Lennon in, in our group and he also switches off and does Ringo whenever we need him to do but um, multi-talented guy uh, Sean Bryant was uh, rhythm guitar and vocal Tommy Galvin was lead guitar and vocal and Alan LaBeouf from Broadway from Beatlemania was playing bass and Alan had this tremendously strong high vocal so they would do just one look Oh, wow. And he would hit that, he would hit that bridge. I thought I was dreaming, but I was wrong. And just hit it so strong. And I was like, oh man, listen to this guy. He's freaking unbelievable. And it just, we went often enough that it got to the point where he, they would go on break and Alan would come down and always talk to Brandy and I. And he came over and saw the Redcoats, which was another, it wasn't a Beatle lookalike band, but it was like, the Redcoats were like, imagine if The Who played Beatles music. Okay. And that's, the drummer was a Keith Moonhead and did it well. And the guitar player was like a Townsend, and I learned this late, I said to him one time, I said, you know, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. I said, but you play Beatles, but you've got an Ace Frehley quality about you. And he's like, I love Ace Frehley. So he was like a Kiss head too. <laughs> and... Um, and Alan came down and saw us play and one time actually asked me if I was interested in doing some sub work at Epcot uh, on bass and I said no what a jerk I was I said no I'm in this band I don't need to play over there but I'll come see you guys and, and they were great they were great guys and, and great players and, and uh, yeah it was I, I, it was a few years later that they needed somebody to fill in I think in the John spot, and they just went, Charlie, you want to do it? Because this is, Ethan, this is how my my career has gone. It gets to, we need somebody to do this stupid thing that nobody will do. Let's call Charlie. <laughs> and I do it, you know, and I just go do it. So I said, well, if my attitude is if you're stupid enough to hire me, then I'll be stupid enough to go do it. So I went and did John. And then they asked me to do Ringo, so I went and did Ringo at the park for a few days, like three days, uh, and got to play drums, and that was a lot of fun. And I met lots of other guys who were doing it at that time, like um, Leo Rojo, who's now our George, plays George in Beetlebeat, uh, Brian Wilson, where Brian was not the Brian okay. Wilson, but the Brian Wilson. Uh Brian was the John at Epcot. He, he's for, not the Brian Wilson who's lying in bed, just right. like himself. Uh, Brian was a, is a is a great guy and a, a fantastic Lennon, who's now doing horror. He does like lower budget horror movies. He's in, but he he was the John at Epcot for roughly ten years. And just did a fan. He was he's funny as hell. He really nailed the humor of the the character, you know, of the John character, the stage humor. And um, 
Yeah, I got to go do that, and it was a blast. What the hell was the question? Uh, I, <laughs> oh, the Beatles I'm trying gear? to remember. <laughs> it's um, how'd you Tangent. get into that whole world? Oh, yeah, yeah. so... So you so, did answer the question. They asked me to do it, and I just went and did it, but I never thought... Like, I never was comfortable doing a character like that. But I love the music, and I was able to play it, and a lot of, you know, I mean, I'm not bragging. I was able to do it as well or better than a lot of the guys that they would have to ask if I didn't do it. So I think they wanted me to do it because they liked hanging out with me, which is always cool. You always want a good hang. Mm -hmm. And I was able to perform competently. And sometimes that's the most important part is just to have somebody on stage with you who's competent and they know what not to do as much as what to do. And that's and then I did George at somebody's wedding in Georgia uh, with Beetlebeat. I the funny thing you did was George in Georgia. I, actually, yeah, I never thought of that. I went up to Atlanta and I played bass backing a Michael Jackson tribute show and then drove across the state to like I forget where it was but then we played a wedding there and I did the George spot that was the only time I did George and after that I started doing the Paul spot and that's where I've I've done that since I think about 2014 I've been doing the Paul spot so you 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 mentioned you did Ringo. I did. So you play drums too. I I again competent. I I I you know, I could never do the shuffles like Ringo does the shuffles. Yeah. And even a lot of the Ringos can't do the shuffles like Ringo does the shuffles. But I I I knew what I could do and what I couldn't do and when to you know, open up the hi-hat and really fake my way through it. And I could keep a pretty consistent beat. And I wasn't a total Ringo on set. I brought a little Keith Moon to it and had a little bit of wackiness. By that you mean you destroyed whatever drum kit you were playing, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, you know, Ringo never did the, you know, about the... You send, the, uh, you know, a symbol slicing into George or whoever it is. That's it. You know, I just had fun with it. I, I think it's important to play the music right, but none of us are going to be the Beatles. And I, I've some of the bands seem to, it's it's war going out there, one band versus another. I have no qualms with any of the other bands who do Beatles music, and I just... I want to have fun. I put on a wig. I have no. Ha- I haven't had hair since I was 26 years old. I've been pretty well bald since then. So I get to put on a wig. Wait, I get to bald? put on a sergeant. Yeah. Can, uh, can can the listeners see the light reflecting off of the? Uh... The listeners can't see you. Period. <laughs> um, but but it's supposed to be a good time, and and I had fun with it. So yeah, I did Ringo. There's some video of me doing Ringo singing boys and i think playing playing one of the other songs i forget which other one it might oh, have you been sent, you sent that to me i think it was at like a launch for beatles rock band it was yep 999 it was uh it was the launch of the the video game 
and uh, it wouldn't be years later till I actually played the game. But it was fun. Uh, I, I did it there. We we used to play a nudist resort here in uh, Orlando. Uh, we kept our clothes on, but it was a <laughs> oh a nudist. Yes, I thought yes, yes. like uh, I I thought you said like a nudist, like some sort of like Greek name or something. And I'm like no, oh no 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 an actual nudist there's, resort. There's a pretty famous nudist resort out from in Kissimmee that we used to play all the what, time. What's the name? Uh, I feel like I might... Cypress Cypress Cove is the name of the place. Okay. And I played there for years with my band, fully clothed all the time. But they were real nice people, and they always—they just wanted a good band, and it was—it um, was a blast. We had a, and we did the Beatles there a number of times. I played drums there. Uh, yeah, so I, I I played all the spots, and like I said, I—it's uh, not a bragging thing. Well, I, it, it I make it weird if you're doing the drums, you know, not fully clothed, because those leathers, uh, those drum thrones can thrones? get a little—they <laughs> can get a little sticky. You know, because yeah. well, leather, especially yeah. in Florida where it's hot. It's hot year round. Yeah. Uh, well, paradise. I, I, this is paradise. Well, to me, you know, this is a very base level observation here. Um, when I think of the Florida weather, I think of that one time in like last year in February where I came and, you know, it's... I'm trying to think, what would it be in Fahrenheit? Uh, it's like minus oh. 20 Celsius here, like 20 below freezing. And, uh, you know, it got off the plane in Florida, and it was like 90 degrees. Yeah, and we... I almost fainted in, like, the parking lot of Target or whatever. I always say I can't believe people voluntarily live under the conditions they live in. And, oh, well, I have somebody who scrapes the snow out of my driveway. Really? Uh, I've never had to scrape sunshine off of my driveway. I just, I, I'm, I'm a, I was born on Long Island, but I'm a Florida boy. Well, it's, I, I could never live in some place that has the same temperature year round. Well, it's it's cold out there now. It's like seventy degrees. Well, I don't know what that is. And seventy degrees is like, like fifteen or twenty, and yeah. that. That feels almost insulting that you're calling it cold. Because <laughs> well, you said you're from Long about. Island. Yeah, you know well, what was, cold is like. I was five when we left, and, and I, I wouldn't move back. We moved from where we are. We moved up to North Carolina for a year. Three quarters of the year, we had to wear a sweater, and then it snowed, and we moved right back to Florida. I just, no way. I'm I'm happy where I am, and, uh, and See, that's my it. favorite... I, I get headaches. Like, I get migraines when it's hot. Oh, really? I get migraines when it's bright. <laughs> so that maybe that's why winter is my favorite season, because it's dark and it's cold. Sunglasses. Sunglasses, and you, it just feels good. But uh, to each his own. That's yeah. why everybody doesn't live in Florida. But uh, I, I, I love it here. I, I love it, love it, love it. We save that job for the Floridians. <laughs> What's what's the next Beatles question? Actually, now that we're talking about Florida, I want to ask you, as someone who's lived in Florida, what's the most you know the whole Florida man thing? Oh yeah. Uh, the I the most Florida man thing I think I encountered while I was in Florida was that I was at a store of Rock and Roll Heaven in Orlando. I was just there, just there <laughs> recently. Just bought a just bought a few records from there. Um, 
and you know I was shopping there and the guy all of a sudden turned off the music and started tuning into the news because it's like oh yeah there's uh, someone we know on trial because like they killed or they killed a stripper and her kids and that uh, was such a weird juxtaposition from like going playing like Herman's Hermits or something than switching to a murder trial there uh, well <laughs> speaking of murder trial so one night oh I'm I scared to see how this segue goes I decided to go see take my wife and go see my buddy um, Bubba Whoopass Wilson who's a musician and radio personality here in Central Florida and he was playing in a bar in Sanford so Brandy and I were it was a Sunday afternoon and we're driving down 1792 and we pass the courthouse and the place is mobbed, right? Mobbed. Trucks, trailers, satellites. Uh, and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And I wonder what's going on. Oh, well. So we get down to the bar and we're sitting in the bar and we look up at the screen and it was the um, Trayvon Martin case. Oh, and it was the the verdict was being read. Oh shit! And it was on a Sunday, and they Bubba stopped playing. They turned on the TVs. They read the verdict, and when they found not guilty, I looked at my wife and I'm like, "We need to get home right now because I have no idea what's going to happen." <laughs> so we yeah. got in the car and just flew home. Uh, luckily, there were no, you know riots or anything like that you know but i just didn't know what to expect and we were literally right down the street from the courthouse when they read that verdict uh and yeah it was uh there's so much stuff that happens in florida that's we we it, it it is hot here and maybe that melts the brains a little bit uh and I don't like based on that. my experience like as the further you drive out of the orlando metropolitan area the more it's kind of like just alligators and meth. I grew up in Vero Beach, Florida, which is on the coast um, south of Cocoa Beach and Sebastian. And growing up, uh, there were a lot of Confederate flags. There was a lot of big trucks that would go out mud. It was very redneck. Very, very redneck. And I don't mean that a lot of people would say that disparagingly. I'm not saying that disparagingly. I knew a lot of these people. I grew up with them. They were not bad people. They lived a lifestyle that was different, uh, especially for me coming from Long Island, and I had a thick Long Island accent. You know, what are you guys doing? You know, I was like, uh, it, it was it was different. When I moved to Orlando, it was more city, and a lot of that went away. You know, it's not like that. But when I go back. It, you start to hear the boom cars. You start to... A lot of that stuff that I grew up with is still out there and prevalent. But I don't see it here in Orlando. Like, you went to Rock and Roll Heaven. Yeah. That's like six miles from my house. Um, and, and you know, it's a... It, that is Winter Park. And Winter Park is a completely different world than even what's outside of, you know, in the rest of Orlando. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different... There's a lot of different personalities in Florida, but one of them is definitely the Florida man, and it gets wacky. I think there was one where 
there was a zombie thing where one guy was eating another guy on the side of the road, like literally eating somebody's face or something. On like bath salts recently. or something? Like uh, he had eaten some kind of drug that dis- made him decide to eat somebody's face off. I as, don't know. as one does. It's weird. And yes, there's alligators. Uh, you know, we used to see alligators in the in the water when we would go by the ditches in Vero. You would see alligators in the ditches. So it's Florida. It ha- I guess it has those things, but but mostly it was wonderful growing up here. Well, I, w- I want to ask you something now. I, I kind of call these, even though they're not what it says on the tin, uh, I call them quick fire questions. Okay. Uh, which the answers are never quick, but it's it's always our favorite part of fine. I'll say his name, Plastic EP. We do his shows about albums, and lately, as of recording, we've been doing the Beatles, and we just did Revolver a couple days ago, and it got heated. Um, <laughs> oh, that, it didn't get yeah, too heated. It, it didn't get too heated. We, you, you said nice things after uh, I made you disappear. <laughs> I. I uh, we're, what we're referencing is Tomorrow Never Knows. Yes. And, and... Well, we'll, we'll get there. Okay, I, okay. I want to ask you, what is your favorite Beatles song? And I, uh, I know the answer, but you, you can preach to the listeners as to what why you think this is the best Beatles song. I think, I think Tell Me Why is the best Beatles song, and, and here's why. And I'll try and make it quick. It has you, all the You don't elements. have to make it quick. You can, you can ramble on for as long as you uh, want. I, I seem to ramble on a lot, and I don't mean to do that. Uh, it has all the elements that we love about the Beatles. It's got three-part harmony. It's got the falsetto. It's got the jangly guitars. It's got the signature drum fills. It's got the hardest drum fill in any Beatles song there is. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you would say those are triplets or sextuplets. I that, don't know. At the end of the at the end of the bridge, but um, incredibly <laughs> difficult. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about when it goes. Oh yeah. He's doing that too. It's not. It's not. Um, it, it's he's... alternate hands. It's the. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's two hands at the same time. Triple a triple. See, I even have a hard time in like I want to hold your hand when he does like on like the snare and the toms at the same time. He um so it's got everything and it's two minutes and seventeen seconds and it's just brilliant. To me it's just brilliance all packaged up. Now I, I get that other people have lots of other songs. Um And Your Bird Can Sing is fantastic. I, I tend to gravitate towards the songs where they play together. Um one that I think people would kind of scrunch their face up is is hold me tight hold me tight is a fantastic why would people scrunch their face at that that's a good song it is but they might they might say well it's not one of the top beatles songs you know or it shouldn't be one of the best beatles songs. i mean but for me if you look at it as kind of like you know the the better half and the lesser half it's in the better half of the beatles yeah catalog. yeah so i but tell me why I think I think is is the best. Now you and Kit both were um, saying tomorrow never knows. Yeah, I'm and also while... saying that because everyone I know who's like a big Beatles fan growing up, like my mom and my uncle, their favorite Beatles song is Tomorrow Never Knows. Well, when and Kit my mom's said not it was even her... like a huge huge Beatles fan. Like her favorite or like her second favorite is you know In My Life, but her first uh-huh. favorite is Tomorrow Never Knows. Well. 
Kit is such a sweet, sweet human being that I I was ribbon or I was trying to see I was trying to get her goat so when she said that was her favorite one it probably didn't matter what song she would have picked I would have said oh that's nobody's favorite Beatles song yeah but she said tomorrow never knows and I said oh that's nobody's favorite Beatles song and then you were like what yes it is and you guys got all uh uh amped up about it which just tickled me (laughs) so uh it's it's a great piece of artwork for the studio would I say it's one of the best Beatles songs? Probably not, but it's okay. We all have our opinions and, and I, I I think it's fun to argue about these things. Now, um, this is where it, it's more fun saying what you don't like than it is saying right. what you do like. What is your least favorite Beatles song? And don't you dare cop out and say you don't have one. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, good. I'm just trying to think about because I, I once There's... got, you know, feedback from a listener saying, like, I've noticed some of your guests weasel out of that question. No, I, I'm not fond of the White Album as a whole. Uh, I've said recently that I think the White Album could have been pared down to make a really good 45. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, just if you just have the it... George songs. Yeah, just most of it doesn't appeal to me. Uh but I think if I had to list the song that I cringe every time I hear, it's When I Get Home. And that's funny because it's from what I think is my favorite Beatles album, which Night. is A Hard Day's Night. But When I Get Home has two things about it that I really that really bug me. It's the only one that I can think of that has a cliche. Um, I'm going to love her till the cows come home. Yeah, uh, That's just... For the Beatles, for anybody else that might be good, for the Beatles, that's just weak. It's just weak sauce. It's, uh, I mean, writing in cliche, I can't think of any other time in their songwriting that they did that. And also, um, the end of the, uh, is it the end of the choruses? Yeah, the end of the choruses and the end of the verses, too, just feel like they drop off before the beginning of the next one comes in. It just... It feels like something that should have hit the hit the floor and not been picked back up for me. Yeah, it's um, like that got included on a Beatles album, but Leave My Kitten Alone didn't. Yeah, and the, and some of the stuff that came after it, you know, like that means a course, lot. Yeah, that would have been a great one. That would have been uh, that would have fit in quite well on the Help album. Yeah, yeah. As opposed so, to some of those songs that sound like they were written in four minutes. Now, with that being said, the chorus for When I Get Home, the, the chord that they sing, whoa, whoa, is really cool. So there's good elements to it, but it's just, uh, when I hear it, I cringe. It's my cringe, cringy Beatles song. Now, uh, you've kind of said both of these, but I'd like you to elaborate a little. What's your favorite Beatle album? Uh, Hard Day's Night. I think A Hard Day's Night... And I would say that's always number one, and the number two spot is pretty much uh, everything gets cycled through it except for the White Album. That's never been uh, a favorite of mine. So you're one of the good ones who actually likes Beatles for Sale. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't I go, have to defend through, Beatles for Sale here. I go through phases. Like we we talked about we talked about that when we did the Plastic Show. Um, Who? It has a lot of covers. It has a lot of covers on it, which I think they didn't need to do. 
but they probably had to put it out quick or whatever, and it was just easy to record those songs or, you know, uh, and they're great versions. Who can argue with rock and roll music? Well, I, I don't even get why people are so mad that it's it's mostly covers, because when you look at it, it's not even that they're like new covers. They're covers that the Beatles had been doing in their stage show for years that they'd, they'd been doing since Hamburg, and a lot of them they had even done on like the BBC stuff. Like, they had already played it live, like, you know. I just, if I had to, like you you mentioned, that means a lot. I think they had a few songs in their back pocket like that, that they were probably either working on or developing that they could have used instead of all those covers. With that being said, the covers that they did were awesome, you know. So, it, yeah, I mean, it's a good album. I... I mentioned my brother Tony earlier. My, I have three older brothers, and two of them were Beatles fans, my brother Artie and my brother Tony. And I think a lot of my music... Uh, you, you know, we, we, we learn things from other people, and I, I learned a lot from them. They're much older than me, uh, 11 years older and, and 17 years older than me. Um, but I remember my brother Tony saying that A Hard Day's Night was as good or better than any other band's best of album. And when I really sat and thought about that, I was like, it's true. I mean, So you think, like, A Hard Day's Night is better than, say... I'm trying to think of a best of album. Like, right. Stone's Hot Rocks. For me, yeah. You know, better than the Eagles' greatest hits, which was obviously a a great selling album. Just a hard day's night. If I fell and I love her, should have uh, known better. Should have known better. Tell me why you home can't do run that after freaking home run. It's just it. I love all the. I love most of the other albums, but that one for me is top notch, right on top. And and. I have a feeling the next question is, what's my least favorite album? Sure. I think you, you, already answered, that. you already asked it for me. Uh, the White Album is, for me, it's the it's the album that non-Beatle fans seem to love. Oh, I don't like the Beatles, but I really love the 70s uh, White Album. And I'm always like, ah, the Beatles, it wasn't the 70s, and it's the most terrible album. I, I just, it's it's not I don't know how to describe it it's got moments of greatness on it you know it does Well, but I, what's your favorite part, song on the White Album just so we, we kind of know where you're approaching it from like what is the moment on the White Album that you're like oh this is great like if the, if the rest of the album could be as good as this then because everyone else like thinks of it differently I think I think a lot of people would gravitate towards something like Dear Prudence, and I don't. I would say Mother Nature's Son was a good McCartney uh, track. I would say um, I, I I didn't dislike Birthday. I didn't dislike um, uh, Back in the USSR. You know, but but I see. I've never rate... been that crazy about any of the songs you just mentioned. Yeah, I, I mean, some people like, what do you like, Glass Onion? Uh, my favorite track on the album right now is actually Piggies. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, some people Piggies, like... uh, Savoy Truffle. What? What's another one? 
Uh, that's that's pretty your cool. Your blues, Savoy truffle. Oh, your blues. I could. Every, totally everybody's got something that. to hide for me and my monkey. I could totally pass on that. I have no idea how Bungalow Bill ever made it on the record. Uh, it's just not anything that I if I find no joy in it, whereas I find joy in a lot of the other albums. Now let me ask you this: uh, Which do you prefer, Let It Be or Let It Be Naked? Um, I I dislike Let It Be, and I dislike Let It Be Naked even more. Really? Yeah. Because I, I pick the secret third answer um, out of the... I, I don't like the Let It Be album as a whole. I don't like it very much. I, I have to look at it um, from the perspective of... Someone said on the show, uh, from Scott Erickson, he said... Uh, yeah, I think it was him. You have to look at it as like the soundtrack to the Let It Be movie. You don't look at it as a Beatle album. That being said, it is an incredibly weak Beatles album. But if I have to listen to it, I'll probably listen to like the Glenn Johns mix, the the Get Back album. Oh, okay. Because some I... of the stuff I think benefits from the Phil Spector treatment. See, and I, I, like, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I mean, mine sounds naked, and not in a good way. On Let It Be Naked. Right. I I tend to, which that's my I tend to like the album. I tend to like live albums. I'm very big into. I really enjoy live. Um, a lot of the bands that I like, I gravitate towards their live albums even more so than their studio stuff. And Let It Be, especially Let It Be Naked, seems like almost like a live album to me. Um, and the movie accentuates that because you see them playing it so I, I i really like that album i i, I enjoy it oh, it's, it's the running joke on the show that i say there are secret correct answers to the <laughs> questions that the people don't know the answers to until they say what they think right like uh, well, to me i've always said like the correct answer to favorite beetle album is revolver secret favorite or secret least favorite beetle album is let it be Nah, nah. Or please, album is or please please than, me. That, oh, you don't like please please me. Well, I'm I'm going off of kind of statistics from this show. What people say, and I can't really? say I, I disagree. Really, people don't like please please me. It's like the second Ow. least favorite to like Yellow Submarine, and oh, Let It Be. Oh, uh, see, I I don't I don't understand that. Um, Where I rarely and, let guests say Yellow Submarine because that's just a cop out answer. I I have a love hit. Yellow Submarine has all too much, which was that's really cool. That really may be cool my track. favorite Beatles song. Oh really? It's all too much. That's, yeah, it's it's a great one. Because it's great. it's the Beatles take on the whole you know psychedelic freakout thing of '67, and they do they wear that they wear it pretty well. Yeah, um, I have a love hate relationship with. Um, Magical Mystery Tour sometimes I'm just like oh my god this is so great and I listen to it over and over and then I'm like oh I just can't listen to this you know uh, I, I think uh, some of the songs uh, I feel conflicted because I really like Magical Mystery Tour but I really don't like Fool on the Hill and I'm not a big fan of like Your Mother Should Know Oh, see, I like that one. <laughs> see, no, my I like flying. I love Blue Jay Way. I love the title track. 
Yeah, I'm um, kind of yeah. getting back into walrus. I I I know what you're saying about Fool on the Hill. I I don't always Walrus is one of those where everybody loves it and I'm like, uh, I prefer I, Piggy I, in the middle. I oh, you just took it right out of my brain. <laughs> I I I sometimes what spins off of something is better than the source material. Do you want to hear I something think... that'll... I, I don't know how you'll feel about this. I think the best song off of the Hard Day's Night album is I Must Be In Love, and it's not on the Hard Day's Night album. <laughs> I can understand that. It is everything uh, I love about that album wrapped up into one song and done like ten times better. When I was a kid, and I'm, I'm thinking probably 12, 11, 12 years old... I would go thrift shopping with my mom on Saturday mornings. And this was back when you'd go to a thrift store and they just had this incredible bin of vinyl to go through. So I went through it once and I found this album that had what seemed like Sgt. Pepper, Let It Be, all of these albums. And I'm not, yeah, Sgt. Pepper... Um, Magical Mystery Tour, Let It Be, and I forget what the other one was. Uh, with the Beatles. Yeah, and I'm like, look at this Beatles album, I gotta buy it. So I bought it and I brought it home, and before I got to listen to it, my dad's like, that's not the Beatles. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course it's the... I was 12. Yeah. I'm like, of course it's the Beatles. And I didn't look at it close enough. And he's like, no, that's the Ruddles. And I thought he was pulling my leg, and then I put it on, but I fell in love with the album. I didn't even know there was a movie. Had no idea until years later that there was a movie. I fell in love with the record and uh, that music. And still to this day, I'm, I'm just a gigantic... I would much rather play in a Reddles tribute band than a Beatles tribute band if there was a way to make money off of it. I, I enjoyed listening to, like, Good Times Roll more than Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds on most days. Same yep. with Double Back Alley... Uh, oh yeah, it's looking good. Is probably the best song off of Rubber Soul. <laughs> I like the way you put those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nevertheless, is Innist better than In Love You Too and Within You Without You combined. Innes did a fantastic. Neil Innes did a rest in peace. Did a fantastic job, and and that's. Yeah, well, how do you feel about? Uh, you, you mentioned Neil Innes. How do you feel about the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band? Uh, I love the Gorilla album. Oh my just that's love that album. I can listen to it and just start laughing. Just right now thinking about that, that, that's probably one of the best purchases I've made during the, the quarantine lockdown. I got an original British mono pressing of Gorilla. Oh wow. On the nice British Liberty Records label. Eric Clapton on ukulele. Yeah. Hi, Eric. Yeah. Uh yeah. Uh, I, I, I loved Bonzo Dog Band. I, I, funny, great stuff. Hi, nice to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't get... You know what? I didn't get too much into the other albums, Bonzo albums, other than Gorilla. Um, I, I Some of them are, you know, Donut and... Or I'm trying to remember the actual name of the album. It's like I think it's like Donut and Granny's Greenhouse or something like that. It's got some good stuff on it. Yeah, uh, the Tadpoles uh, album's got Urban Spaceman. The um, the uh, Monty Python is the same way. Where like I I like a lot of the Monty Python stuff, but then, um, 
but I never got deep into it like some people get real deep into Monty Python. They could quote every well, line. When it comes of, to Monty Python, like I like the TV show better than I like the movies. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not a big fan of, like, Holy Grail, but, like, I can quote you some, like, Flying Circus sketches verbatim. Uh, see, I can't. I can quote Holy Grail enough that you know, if there's a nerd around me, their ears will perk up. Yeah. But not enough where I could really hang. A lot of this stuff, I can't really hang with the people who are way deep in. But I can, I can give them the nod that hey, I I respect your world, and and you know that's about it. That's how it is with Python. You, you just and, said something that hit really close to home. That uh-oh, that's kind of, that? no, that's kind of how I try and be. Yeah. Like I I can't get very. Like, I, I don't necessarily feel comfortable a lot of the time with these people in these, like, in-depth worlds, but I try and know enough that they'd, like, okay, he's he's cool. He can he can stay. Well, well I gotta tell you, when, when you first did the, um, I first saw you on the quiz show, right, on Plastic's quiz show, uh, Plastic will give another nod, um, I, I was... I was like, I'm not going on the show with this guy. No way. You're, this wasn't you're, the show where I, I left because I was bored, right? That was after. Yeah. Uh, I think that was actually the first time we were like in the same show. Yep. Without, without blowing smoke, your knowledge depth on this stuff is very, very impressive. And, uh, and I always learn something while you're talking about a lot of these things, especially about the vinyls and the different versions, because I just never got into that. I, I, it wasn't, that wasn't where I put my focus. So my rambling about like, the mono mix of this song on this pressing of, Revolver. Damn it! Now I just remembered something I should have mentioned in the <laughs> Revolver episode. So. Uh, no, I'm not even going to say because anyone who's listening to this show probably knows about it. I was going to well, say, Tomorrow Never Knows, there's a different mix only on the original British pressings, but I digress. Um, oh, that, there's, the, there's the phrase. Yeah, there's the magic phrase. I, I, I get asked, and I think you would ask me one time, well, what do you, you know, what do you prefer, the mono mix or the stereo mix? And I'm like... I've always listened to the stereo mixes because it's nice to turn off one side and listen to the music, the performance, and listen to the other side. I See, I, I can't do that. Like, I get... It's really uncomfortable listening to those early 60s Beatles stereo mixes with headphones on because it's like, yeah. oh, God, this is awful. The, like, the everything's going on in one ear and then, like, you know, some tambourine and the vocals in the other... Yeah, I I I like that stuff. I I see it, I it's okay, it's... but just as long as you're not listening with headphones. And they and they didn't expect those to be. No one's gonna listen in stereo. Of course, everybody's no. gonna listen in mono. And now it's oh, EMI's asking us to do a stereo mix. Why? <laughs> Fine, uh, we'll we'll do it. We'll spend three uh, hours and get it done. I'll give you a little bit of homework here. Not homework, but if you want to check out something cool, uh, one thing that we haven't talked about was the um, the Buffett world that I've lived in for years and years. Uh, Florida, guitar- right? Yeah, well, you know, that's that's the thing. I, I, I didn't grow up around people. It's amazing how the Northeast of the United States has this gigantically strong Beatles, Monkeys, 
scene. Yeah. And down in Florida, I, I didn't, it wasn't around at all. I, I didn't grow up with people. In fact, growing up in the 80s, mid-80s, listening to the Beatles, I got picked on because I listened to Beatles because they were listening to Michael Jackson and Phil Collins or yeah. whatever else, you know. Uh, and and then years and years later, some of those people who picked on me, I would see them wearing a John Lennon shirt. And I'm like, yeah, I listened to that in elementary school. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, Buffett's guitar player is uh, Pete Mayer. And he did a album of Beatle covers. Okay. And Pete is an excellent musician, an excellent uh, very smooth, soothing voice, soothing guitar playing. I highly recommend checking out the album. And I forget what the album is actually called, but it's Pete Mayer's Beatles album. Um, and he's got some he some stuff he did straightforward, and some stuff he went on a on a a big tangent. Um, but that might be somebody you might want to talk to because I know he's a gigantic, gigantic Beatles fan. Probably worked with him or worked. You know, somewhere around Paul, I would assume, because I've seen Paul and Buffett, you know, taking up the same areas at certain times. See, I I don't mean this as like an insult to any parrot heads or, you know, Jimmy Buffett associates or what have you. I've never gotten it. I don't Uh, understand it. I, I went once, I think, to the the Margaritaville restaurant and that was about as far. I once stayed a weekend at a parrot head's house and it it felt you know for lack of a better term, I, I say this in an endearing way because you know it can feel like this at the Beatle Fests too a little culty I was uh, so and I don't want to spend too much time here talking about... I, I worked on the Parrot Head circuit for years and years because that's what was here in Florida. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I played with a lot of bands who are like, you know, you got Buffett up at the top level, but then there's this whole genre called trop rock, tropical rock. And I played with a lot of the bands on that circuit. And, and I'll say this. If you're... There's an album. There's the Yellow album by, by Buffett called Songs You Know By Heart. And it's Volcano and Fins and Pirate Looks of 40 and all the stuff that you probably roll your eyes and... But I'll also say that, like a lot of a lot of stuff that has staying power, if you listen to some of those albums, there's some really cool songs in there. Peanut Butter Conspiracy is a really cool song. Jamaica Mistaka is a really cool he said, song that was... Re- he said Peanut Butter Conspiracy, and my ears perked up for a second as a fan of 60s psychedelic rock. Like, <laughs> is he going to talk about the Peanut Butter Conspiracy? It's yeah, like, oh, wait, no, he's talking about a Jimmy Buffett song. <laughs> there's 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 songs that I could point you to, um, like Schoolboy Heart. If you listen to Schoolboy Heart, you'd probably go, okay, I'm not a Buffett fan, but that's a pretty cool song. Well, um, this will probably I'm, turn off any Buffett people listening. Uh, I have Sirius XM. I manually switched off in the car stereo the the Jimmy Buffett channel because it's right next to like the classic rock channel, and I felt I found myself accidentally switching to it too often, and you know hearing the you know steel drums and 
all that shit just kind of made me no okay queasy the steel drums glad you brought that up buffett's steel drum player for the whole run has been robert greenwich robert not greenwich, the steel drums i love the steel drums i, uh, say, I was gonna say to say face <laughs> robert greenwich was the steel drummer on beautiful boy by john lennon uh he's he is i can understand you not liking the buffett stuff i really can but I'm telling you, those musicians, I've been on stage with them and worked with them. They're freaking unbelievable. Um, it's, Greenwich, I, I never dislike musicians. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I have the utmost respect no matter what genre. Because, like, these people know what they're doing. Yeah. it's there are, there are a few musicians where I've played with them on stage when I'm playing bass. And they've they had such a controlling command of their instrument that they took control of my playing and um i had a drummer do that once uh where it just his pocket was so amazing that i fell right into it and i just made my job so easy and michael utley on piano was that way michael utley is a fantastic musician and when he we started playing the club trini music which is an offshoot of of it's some of the Buffett's musicians and they play like more soca kind of island Caribbean stuff, you know, really more deep, heavy stuff. Um, when he started playing that on piano, I just fell right into his groove and it was just, it was beautiful, really good players. Uh, I can understand people not liking Buffett and it's very, it's very, um, to the me, songs you know by just, heart is very touristy, but there's a feels world just underneath like Kokomo. It. There's a world underneath it that that it is actually really cool, and I but I get it, I get it because when you see Buffett and he's the volcano and the fins and all of that stuff, I get it, I get it. It's it's tiresome, and I worked on that circuit for, gosh, I mean my first pro gig was with a band called the Land Sharks out of Florida, and it was a Buffett cover band and actually became the house band at Margaritaville in Orlando. They were the first house band at uh, Orlando's Margaritaville. And, um, you know, we did the whole Buffett show. And one time the leader of the band bought us tickets to go see Buffett in Tampa. So we, I sat and I watched three songs and I left. <sighs> Because I was like, he got so mad at me. And I'm like, it's like watching myself work. We play the same songs they do. We play the same arrangements the same way. Would you walk Why out of like a, a McCartney the... show, though? Probably not, but I came close when I saw him in... And we had nosebleed seats when I saw him in Tampa. And after I walked out of the show, I said, well, I don't need... He, I, I'm not a big fan of his new band. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm sorry... Uh, I know everybody loves Abe on drums. He's a fantastic drummer, but he's not Blair Cunningham for me. Uh, uh, no, Hamish isn't there. Um, you know, uh, Wix that, is there. Robbie, thank God he held on to Wix because Wix was not at the 9/11 concert. Wix was not on keyboards at the 9/11 concert, and I was afraid that Wix was out of the band, but he wasn't. Uh, I love. Wicks and what he brings to it, and but uh, the the new band they perform great, mm -hmm. they perform wonderful. 
but I saw that band in 92, that 92 band, and just... On the New World Tour, yep. or whatever that Where was called. They were playing stuff from off the ground, and I yeah. just... I love that album. Oh, I, I, I do, too. I love that band. I love... That That was pinnacle for me. And I've seen them now, and I, it's like, uh, you know... I, I, I was going to defend them, saying, like, well, listen to, like, the new album like the album new but then i was gonna i then i remembered all my favorite songs on that record i looked at the personnel it's just mccartney <laughs> and like his producer playing the drums the flowers flowers in the dirt album is just for me that's really really top-notch stuff i love that i love his working with elvis costello and, and the off the ground album that's yeah i uh, I, I don't like talking about how much I paid for things, but that's probably one of the most expensive records I ever bought, and it was worth it. An original yeah. British pressing of Off the Ground from yeah. that sad time in music when no one was making records anymore. He, and I, to my knowledge, he's never played Golden Earth Girl live, and I've never understood that because I always thought that that was fa a fantastic track. I, I just went on about how much I liked Off the Ground, but then I, I was going to say... Well, he's played Cosmically Conscious, but then I'm like, was that even on the album? I don't remember if it was. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, I, I know he's done that, I think, like, maybe once or twice since. But I, I, I know people love Abe, you know, with the new band, and I, it just, it didn't, some things grab you, some things don't. It just didn't grab me, you know? I, they, I like I like that old group. Well, I like the old group, but I I do like the new group. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind that old group. It also had Linda in it. Well, of course, yeah. So it's yeah. a lot closer to seeing something like Wings than right. the new group, which is and and Robbie was just. I remember being, I remember being in the stadium in the Orange Bowl in in Orlando when I saw McCartney and everybody was standing up pretty much all the way up to when Wick started playing his uh, Chet Atkins bit. I think it's called Thanks Chet. I think it was what it was called on Trip of the Line Fantastic. And, and everybody just sat down and started listening. And when he played, it was just, oh, I, fantastic. And there's For me, I just don't have those when when... Um, McCartney and Hamish s would sing And I Love Her together and they would do the harmonies and they didn't do it like the Beatles they did it their way I just miss those moments for me they don't happen much uh, the only time that that moment kind of happened for me was when Paul was playing ukulele and Wicks was walking behind him playing the accordion Yeah. when they would do that bit in their more recent, when I say more recent, probably a decade ago concerts. Yeah. Well, is is that the version of something? Possibly. Yeah, because I, I know Maca plays the, you know, ukulele on that, and I think there may have been accordion. He, um, you know, his his new wife's kids go to school a stone's throw away from me. They go. I to know. Rock, That's Rollins what the guy College. at Rock and Roll Heaven was actually saying. Yeah, and and he's Paul has been seen like I would get texts for a while. Paul's at Wawa in Winter Park, and I'm like, really? 
Yeah, but he was, you know, or he was at one of the restaurants on Park Avenue here. It's kind of cool, but I, but if you met Paul McCartney, what would you say? What is there to say? There's nothing to say. Hey, are you the He's... drummer, or you, you're an Abe Laboreal Jr.'s band. Oh, yeah, really. Uh, I, I... He's one. I don't know how. Do, I don't know how. Are you, you feel the bass player from Brian Ray's group? Aren't you the guy who? Uh, <laughs> aren't you the guy that, the guy that Conway uh, Kanye West discovered? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just. I I met my heroes. I got to play with the guys in NRBQ. Um, I never got to play under the name NRBQ, which I always wanted to just fill in, and actually. Uh, you know, I don't want to give too much of private conversations away, but um, I, I, there, it looked like there might be a glimmer of hope to do a fill-in gig one time under that band moniker. I, that's the band I always wanted to be in. And I've gotten to play with Terry Adams and Scott Legan, who's their current guitar player, and anybody who's in the Chicago area probably knows Scott Legan. Incredibly talented guy. He joined the band in like, oh four or eight or something uh he's been with them uh, i've gotten to play with big al anderson i've gotten to play i got to play 10 dates with joey spampanato the bass player now joey i was telling you about this but for the listeners who don't know if you go on if you've never heard of nrbq go watch hail hail rock and roll that band sounds the way it does because joey spampanato is playing bass he was handpicked by keith richards to play bass with that band with Steve Jordan on drums and you know of course Johnny Johnson on piano and all of that and this is this is the kind of musicians these guys are Joey played bass in that um, Keith Richards when Wyman left the Stones said I want you to be in the Rolling Stones so Joey went and auditioned for the Rolling Stones and he had Keith Richards on one side of him and Ronnie Wood on the other jamming out and Mick Jagger was across playing keyboards and singing and you, he could tell that the guys were trying to up the energy because he real, they wanted him in the group <laughs> um, but Joey was in NRBQ and didn't and didn't want to leave what he had spent decades building they didn't offer him the Stones gig but it, I think Mick Jagger kind of put the kibosh on it, but Keith Richards wanted him. <laughs> um, but then Eric Clapton asked Joey to go play some of the 24 nights at the Royal Albert Hall. While he was at the Royal Albert Hall, Wicks caught wind that he was there and, in, and got McCartney to invite him over to McCartney's place to sit in with that 92 band. <laughs> the only one who wasn't there was Hamish. So they got to play like a bunch of Beatles songs and and Joey got to play bass with them and at when they were done Paul says how do you get that sound on bass because Joey has a very unique bass sound <laughs> it sounds like an upright bass and he's like well I listened to early Beatles and Stones albums and I tried to copy what I heard so here's this guy who like Paul McCartney's asking him how he gets his bass sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Elvis Costello and Penn Jillette and Bonnie Raitt will all get emotional talking about how great this band is. Uh, uh, 
I've gotten to play with my heroes and I've gotten to meet them and it was amazing. But if I met Paul McCartney, I don't think I think it would just be like, hey, Paul, like, what could you possibly say to Paul or Ringo? That would be they've done it all. They've seen it all. It's there's nothing. There's nothing you could do. I wouldn't want to meet them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I, I can see what you mean there. Like, I I don't know what I would say. Yeah. Hey, what would you say? To did, did you die? <laughs> <laughs> what was it like t- taking Paul McCartney's place? Yeah. How, how have you been able to lie to the public for 54 years? So imposter? I heard you have a theory about this, or you have something deep that you wanted to say about the whole Paul is dead thing. Oh, no, I, I just mean, like, I can go on about that theory for ages. <laughs> and I probably it, will at some point do an entire show about the Paul is dead rumor. The There's interesting tidbits that people have picked out, like the fact that his hair is brushed the opposite way. After, you know, and, and it's true. Like, yeah. even when we do our Beetle Beat shows, with my early wig, I do it one way. And my later look wig, which, by the way, I love, because it's like if I had my hair still, it's the what my hair would look like. It's kind of like a Ray Romano wig more than a Paul McCartney wig. It's like, it's like Paul's... Is that what it said on the box? No, it's, a, it's, like, it's like more like a Wings wig, but I loved it so much that I, I still got it and use it. But it brush, you have to brush that the other way. Um, the way he spoke in interviews was different. You know, I mean, some of the things that they point out in it is interesting, but it's, I don't, I think it's still Paul McCartney. Uh, I think so, too. Like, it, it's really fun to get down that rabbit hole. But again, oh. it's what a ridiculous, ludicrous rabbit hole to get down. Now, I'm not sure it's still, I'm not sure that that's the real Ringo, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> oh, poor well, Ringo. Let's see, what, poor what, Ringo. Didn't we, what didn't we talk about so far? Um, I'm just looking over my notes. Uh Okay, here's one. Why do the Beatles still matter? That's that is a good question. Um, or why do you think the Beatles still matter? Uh do you know who Penn Gillette is? Uh from Penn and yeah. Teller? Okay. So Penn is a he he's a magician, but he's 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 a pretty deep thinker. And one of the videos I saw of him one time, he was talking about how fame doesn't matter and he said let me you know he said he talked to one of the people that he works with a younger guy and he said name me the four Beatles and the guy looked at him and said um Ringo isn't there like a a bill um and so so the point was is that here's the the greatest rock and roll band of all time and they kids today don't necessarily know them they keep popping back up into pop culture in 09 the video game came out and people who weren't familiar with the Beatles started playing the game and got familiar with it but then put the game down I think that the music I think what they did for music and being of their time was 
set the architecture for what came after it. And I think people who make money uh, have looked at it and tried to duplicate it. I think, I think New Kids on the Block was the mix of the Jackson 5, trying to do the Jackson 5 with the way the Beatles were publicized. I think, I think something like the Spice Girls, where they made characters out of each person, certainly goes back to the Beatles and the fact that everybody knew everybody in the band. Yeah. I think I think there were people who will go back and always study the music and study not not only the music but the marketing and study how the thing was how how the business aspect of it worked and we'll learn from it and we're going to see trials of duplication of it over and over and over i'm not one who says there's not going to be a next beatles i I think that's too cynical it just might not take the form that we think it'll take could there already have been like a next beatles that have just gone under the radar because a group that i i really dig that has kind of earned that title, even though they're not as well known. XTC, they've been called, uh, you know, the closest thing to the Beatles that we've gotten since the Beatles. There, there have been. There's a, quite a few others who have gotten that next, you know, next Beatles moniker, and um, and I, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know. I think, I think we've seen glimpses of. Beatlemania, and I do air quotes Beatlemania, in some bands. Um, I think I think Hanson had a glimmer of that with their popularity, and those guys played their own instruments. I I, I think we'll see elements of like, it. Will we see all the elements of it? Was there another Beatles already? I think like the, that the closest I, thing to like the kind of. Um global superstardom that like someone from a different part of the world can come over here and be really successful when it hasn't really been done before because you know back in the 60s like it was unheard of for British groups to come over here like the only group before the Beatles to have a number one hit here was or I say here but I mean in the states was uh, Telstar by the Tornadoes we're all part of the Americas yeah I'm in North America you're in North America. We don't, we we don't we know that there's different countries. We yeah. I, I I I um. We all know that we all know what what separates us. We don't focus enough on what joins us, and we're all part of the same landmass. Yeah. So uh, let's and we share most of the same it. accent. That's true. Yeah. That's most. True. <laughs> but I I don't know what the rest of that is about. <laughs> a boot. Yeah. Um, I, I think. But oh, wait, I was gonna say, like the only group okay. that I've seen, and it's been fairly recent. I, I'm not exactly a big fan of the music, but BTS. BTS. I figured you were gonna yeah. say that because you know, um, that's never happened before, apart from you know back in 2012, like the Gangnam Style guy. Right. Someone well, from that area of music hadn't really become super successful over here. There, there have been. There have been things that have popped up. I mean, we already mentioned the Spice Girls, and they had topped the charts here. Phil Collins, you know, he had his time in the 80s. And certainly Eric Clapton had a number one hit here 
at least once per decade. I think him and Cher were in the battle of who was going to have the most consecutive, like, a number one in each decade. Uh, but I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. I think that I think we're going to see another Beatles, and it'll be as a, I have heard, and and I'm not, I'm not familiar with them, so it's, but I've heard that the album, uh, OK Computer by Radiohead. By, Radiohead is like that. It's like that generation, Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, it I've, means I've heard a that lot too. To them, I, 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 embarrassingly, I've never heard it. I've never heard that. I, I've a friend who is like a diehard Radiohead fan, and he, you know, scoffs at me because I've never listened to them, but they've undoubtedly influenced a whole generation of musicians. The yeah. same way that the Beatles did, you know, fifty years ago. I, I just think that it's it's going to look different, you know. It won't be ro- like four guys from Liverpool, right? Rock and roll looked different than the big band swing music that came before it, you know. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, Led Zeppelin looked. Oh, and by the way, I would just like to say this for all your listeners: uh, the Who. Are hands down a better band than Led Zeppelin? Yes, that is a fact. Um, yes. Uh, well, actually, uh, I want to interrupt you there. You bring up the Who. I love talk about the Who, and this uh, will, I think will be like the last kind of thing I want to ask you. Early Who or later Who? Or actually, no. Early Who, middle Who, or later Who? So I assume when you say early Who, that's the Keith Moon years, Kenny Jones years is the middle. Who? Okay, and then well, let Zach, me, st- Zach for the later years. Okay, no, let me let me redefine what I mean here. The early who I mean till, like, everything before Tommy. Then I consider like the middle years, like Tommy through Who Are You, and then the later years is everything since like Face Dances. I I have the. Uh... What is it? Maximum Overdrive box yeah. set. Maximum um, R and B or whatever yeah. it's called. Um, I, I, I would say if I had to pick one, I tend to gravitate towards the early stuff, and and the reason why is, um, Pete Pete didn't have his shtick down yet, you know, what we saw, what you saw from like Woodstock on, became. Like, that became the... I, I know he was breaking guitars earlier than that. Yeah. But if you watch, like, Ready, Steady, Go with them doing Can't Explain, if you look at Pete, it's not the Pete that we knew later. No. Right? It's and it's not, not the, not the whole Roger. stereotypical, you know, I'm, I'm doing right. a windmill for the listeners out there. It's not the Roger that we would n- come to know and love later, really. No, the either. Roger... He was trying to do, like, a Ray Charles kind of old black bluesy guy kind of stance and, yeah. you know. Um, but Keith Moon was Keith Moon. Yeah. Keith Moon and didn't he, change. And he was young and vibrant and just on top of the game. And, God, it's just beautiful to see. Entwistle didn't really change either. Uh, no, nah, he didn't. He didn't change too much. <laughs> there wasn't no. the ox. There wasn't much to change. But he did. His his voice his, got lower, <laughs> and his his approach to the bass became. I was a big before I became a Joey Spampanato fan. 
where they changed the way I play, attacked my instrument, played my instrument, uh, which is palm muting and playing like an upright. I was into ent whistle. So I played with three fingers on my right hand and a lot of triplets, and I was trying to do some tapping and all of that stuff. And it really, his style really progressed into this crazy, you know, when I got to, I got to see him with the Ringo All-Star Band. But, really? Oh, yeah, I saw Ent Whistle. Did you see him do Boris the Spider with that guy? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah, it was very cool. It was the only member of The Who that I've gotten to see. Um, I, he, his style changed, but his, his stage persona never really changed. But uh, but I just love watching any footage that I can find you know, from the Kids Are All Right video oh. movie to, you know, any of the videos with before Keith, before the drugs really started affecting him, you know, when he was just young and and, and just a, a hot rod on drums. If you're ever, like, feeling down and you want, like, a good pick-me-up, the best thing to do is go... Ed? <laughs> the, the best thing you can do is go watch some of those early Who promo clips of, like, uh, uh, like the Happy Jack video... Where it's mm-hmm. like they're like robbing a place, and then there's a cake, and then the the video which appears in the kids are all right with the uh, uh oh God, what's the name of the song? Is it Cobwebs and Strange? Like the I I know the name yeah. of the song. I'm not I'm not as deep on the on the names yeah. of that stuff. I I can't remember the name, but the, it's actually the video for the song "Call Me Lightning." Uh, that video is very fun. I love the version of um, Roadrunner on that. I just, uh, just the, the pick scrape on the guitar, and it's just so raw and nasty. I love it. Well, I, I love the, the weirdly ornate Who of the mid-60s, like the Who sellout, like a quick one, where they're doing like some really cool things. Yeah, yeah. Do you think... So do you think that they got pushed from Rock and Roll Circus because they yes. were much better than everybody else? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think so too. No, you you see that video when they did a quick one, they completely upstaged the Stones who had and, like a malfunctioning Lennon. Brian Jones. Yeah. And and Lennon, I yeah. thought I thought he they just made those guys look like amateurs. Which you know, the who Oh, the who just are incredible. And then I mentioned the concert, Paul McCartney's The Concert for uh, New York City from uh, after the 9-11 attacks. When The Who were on that, just ferocious and again destroyed everybody else who was on that show. Just like the applause alone, like everyone yep. freaked out when The Who came on. Yep, yep. And I get, I don't know how you get about music and stuff. I, I... I get emotional about things. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not such a stoic, manly man that I, uh, things affect me. And just thinking about when uh, uh, the actor was announcing them, uh, who was that? That was the one who was in Serendipity. He, he was, um, he was uh, older Brian Wilson in. Oh, John Cusack. uh, Cusack. Yeah, he was the one who announced them with. Uh, an Irish police officer and just incredible what an incredible what a tragedy that that happened 
but what an incredible performance that came out of it just just really really good and and to end on a funny note before we go into the you know plugging and promoting or whatever i'll leave you with one more controversial opinion the best rolling stones album is their satanic majesty's request i'll give you another uh uh uh, controversial thing that we don't find controversial but everybody else will yeah uh the monkey's head is the worst monkey's album and the and the movie is is oh you don't agree i don't agree with that Oh, it's the worst Monkeys album. You thought you had a confidant here. I thought I did, but that's all right. I I love the Head album. Oh, it's just abysmal. It's just (laughs) terrible. But but with that being said, like, there's the hooks of the songs I like. Like, Can You Dig It? I like the hook. And um, Merrily As We Go Along. No, As We Go Along. Um, I like the hook. I like the chorus. But there's nothing about those verses or the mixing of the album that saves it for me. That I could pick. That's an album I that could, could pick, do with a good remix. Yeah, and they didn't use somebody who knew the monkeys. Somebody on one of those, uh, one of the monkeys, um, when they reviewed Head, said that, "Well, it's you know, it's definitely it's much different than anything else the monkeys did." Yeah, and I liked everything else the monkeys did. I'm a big, gigantic monkeys fan. But head just didn't it didn't hit it for me. Sorry. Well, and now we get to a favorite part oh, of the show. This... I'll, I want to ask you, what would you like to plug if you could plug uh, anything? You know, I, well, let me let me plug this podcast first. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me on it, and I've listened to quite a few of the shows, not all of them. I, I don't blame you. There's been few... so many. I've listened. I listened to the ones with um, Artie Saraf and. Uh, and um, Ron McNeil. I listened to the Mitch Wiseman one. I was just listening to the one with um, La- uh, Lawrence Z- Juber uh, recently, and a few of the other ones that I can't think of off the top of my head. But you do an excellent job. So I just want to say thank you, every. If you've made it this far in this podcast with me, which is going to be the lowest rated podcast of them all, I just want oh, to say thank I you. Say that. Um, <laughs> I, I will say uh, um, we didn't really talk about the Parrot Head world too much, and um, for the best, I do want to. I do want to say um, if you if you ever get a chance to go out and check out some of the trop rock music and the musicians who are doing it, if that music interests you at all, there's a lot of fantastic musicians out there, um, and if you like that kind of music. Uh, check out all of Jim Morris and the Big Bamboo Band. Check out Jim died uh, a few years ago and he was a, an excellent singer-songwriter um, and and a good friend. Probably the best band leader I ever worked for. A beautiful guy and was just taken too soon. He, he flew out from Florida to a gig in Seattle and I was supposed to be on the job. I was supposed to be on the gig but I, I, I ended up not doing the job. Uh, he got out there, and while he was at the airport, suffered uh, a, a brain aneurysm, oh, wow. and uh, was rushed to the hospital and passed away out there. And it was just, it was such a shame because the guy was on top of the world and just a beautiful guy. But uh, Sonny Jim White, John Frenzy, who I worked for for years, uh, Jimmy Pappas, 
my buddy Jimmy Pappas, who plays a lot of that, I mean, he's like a mix of James Taylor and Jimmy Buffett kind of stuff. There's a lot of different styles in that world, so go check that out. Uh, as far as our, my stuff is concerned, you could check out my original music. I have two albums, but I, I don't know why you would. <laughs> um, if you like skeet shooting, you can buy them and pull. <laughs> um, it's good for that. If Drink coasters, it's good for. Uh, it's an eclectic mix of a lot of my influences and I have music on there that I still listen to and I think oh that's a good song I really like that song so I'm not completely displeased with what I've done but like a lot of people it's you listen back and you wish you had done some things different uh, like I will when I hear this interview I'll say boy I wish I hadn't talked so Man, much. I wish Ethan um, had edited, edited this better <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, if you just edit out all the parts where I talk and yeah. leave in the parts you talk it'll be much better uh, Beetle Beat is my current Beatles tribute band. I've been with them since... It's probably the band I've been with the longest. I've been with them since about 2014. And um, I used to, we used to play, and I was playing right-handed Paul. And every show, no matter how... Sh- and um, listen, I, I'm playing with guys who their day job was to go to Epcot and be Beatles. This was their day job. Uh, Leo Rojo and my, my good pal Jimmy. And... Willie Rast is our drummer, and Willie and I have been on more musical adventures. He's, he, I've played with some of my musical heroes, but I'll, I'll take Willie anywhere and play. He'll have him play drums with me on anything. Top notch, just just top of the heap of the guys I've worked with. But uh, they're all fantastic, and I, I'm blessed to get to play music with them. And I, I. I um, I was doing the Beatles shows with them, and I was playing right-handed, and no matter how good it went, I'd always have somebody come up to me and say, well, yeah, but you know, Paul was right-handed. And it's like, yeah, no crap. I mean, he was left-handed, sorry, but Paul was left-handed. I'm like, no crap, but I'm right-handed. What am I supposed to do? And one of the other Paul guys in town said to me, well, if you're, if you're right-handed, you can't play left-handed. And I'm like, well, that's crap, because our already... Artie Saroff does it, and Jim Miller in, in New Jersey does it. Gary Grimes from 1964 did it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Gary Grimes did it, and um, R.I.P. And so I started Mitch tried learning. to do it. <laughs> and Mitch, Mitch is left-handed. He is left-handed and plays righty. Um, so I, it took me about a year. It took me about a year of trying. I started doing the first three songs, Lefty. And then we would do, do you want to know a secret? And I would switch to the right-handed bass. And then after a few gigs, I just looked at the guys. I'm like, I'm going to do the whole thing lefty. And I, I've been doing it left-handed ever since. And it's it's a blast, man. It, uh, the Our Beetle Beat show plays when it's not COVID. Hopefully by the time this airs, there's no more COVID. Um, but we, we play once a month on the Victory Casino Cruise out of Cocoa Beach. And that's the full costume show. Lately, we've been playing a lot of what I call unwigged shows where we play out of costume and we get to just be ourselves and play the music. And that's that makes me happy. I, I, I enjoy that. Uh, other than that, you know, uh, I don't really have much else to plug. I'm, I'm uh, you know, this is this is a world. It's a it's uh, this Beatle thing. I've learned now. There's a, a Beatle world out there that I didn't know about because I was so into the Buffett world. Um, so uh, 
uh, uh, just immerse yourself in the world. Listen to all these podcasts. Listen to Ethan. Listen to Kit. Listen to Plastic. Listen to, you know, whatever else is out there. There's just stuff, uh, I, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Well, before we mention those people, I'll, I'll do my little spiel that I have to do at the end of the episode. Let's see if I can say this tongue twister. Are you ready? This is this is quite a feat. Go for it. All right, so if you're uh, listening to this on YouTube, which a lot of you seem to do, uh, if you haven't already, please hit that uh, big red subscribe button, and also hit that bell notification icon. Charlie, you don't need to do the interpretive miming, because they can't see you. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Yeah. But yeah, Charlie's, Charlie's pointing down. So, just, you can visualize that. Um... Uh, if you don't know already, or if you prefer it, uh, we're available to stream everywhere good podcasts can be heard. So, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Podbay, whatever you choose, iHeartRadio.com, everywhere. We're, we're inescapable. And um, actually, earlier this year, it was made official. I uh, joined another Beatle podcast, uh, my good friends over at When They Was Fab. I am now the third co-host, so if you want to hear more of my uh, overbearing nasal voice, you can go over there and listen to me talk about things with people who actually know what they're talking about. But yeah, we're on Facebook at Fans on the Run Podcast, we're on Twitter at Fans on the Run Pod, because it wouldn't let me fit the whole word, uh, and Instagram at Fans on the Run Podcast, where you can see all the cool artwork I do for the shows. Whew, there we go. And lastly... He, he's been waiting for this the whole episode if he's actually listened to the whole thing uh, you can occasionally find Charlie and I over at our friend Plastic EP's pages uh, where you can find us talking about the Beatles, find us talking about the monkeys uh, more so him not so much me, but you know, I, I pop in now and then but, definitely, yeah, always fun but yeah, there we go Charlie, thank you so much for doing the show today Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and, and I'm sorry. <laughs> you have nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> are, are you saying sorry about that thing you said earlier in the show? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about the whole interview. Oh. <laughs> I hope no, you have No, this has actually things. been one of the most enjoyable interviews I've done in a long while. Oh, thank you. But to everyone else out there, thank you for listening. You can go home now. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Fulton. This has been a Showtown production.